Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, Hope Church. You guys look all really good today. Although there's a lot of you on this side, and that's throwing off my balance. I'm like, what? So if I look a lot this way, it's not because I don't love people over here. I'm just, I'm drawn to the, the big group over here. So this is the place to sit. We are in the middle of a series right now called You, Me, and God, and this is a focus on the Enneagram personality resource, which if you've been following along and listening to the messages, you know that this is a tool that we believe is really helpful for so many reasons, and uh, Tom has brought it up really well, that it helps us to grow closer to God, it helps us to grow outward with other people, and it helps us to grow spiritually and understand ourselves and how, um, and how we can grow in our walk with God. And as we've also talked about over and over again, this, this tool, one thing that's unique about it is that each week when you learn about the different personality types, you're going to discover that there's probably going to be a moment where you're like, oh my goodness, I am so understood. Like, this person really gets me. This, whoever, this, like, I, I now feel like I am completely seen. And then there's another part of you that's going to feel like, ooh, cringe. Okay, this is a problem. I see this as a weakness in me that I wish wasn't there. Um, And so it's an opportunity for us to, again, value one another and also to surrender those weaknesses to God. Um, So I'm not going to go too much more into the overview. If you're interested, though, um, you can look back at the numbers we've gone through already. Um, We're actually coming to the end. We're in the final three weeks of this series. Um, I know, it's, it's crazy. But today we're going to be looking at the number six, and I want to just share with you quickly that we are moving out of the, um, the feeling triad. We had been the number two, three, and four were the feeling or like emotional triad, and now we're moving into the thinking or the head triad. Um, and I think this is interesting. If you look, um, I, we've shown different graphics before. I don't know if we have this available, um, but there are three triads, and so there's three numbers in each triad. There you go. Um, And so if you're confused, if you're listening in and you're like, I really am having a hard time pinpointing my exact number, maybe just pay attention to the overview about each triad, because that's going to give you a clue as to maybe how you operate and help you to narrow down your options. So um, I'll just share this. Todd Wilson of the Enneagram Goes to Church says that those in the head triad are planners, analyzers, visionaries, and scholars. They like studying things, spotting patterns, seeing the world as predictable. Now the shadow side to this, of course, he says, is fear. Fear of not knowing, fear of not having options and opportunities, and fear of not having their environments be safe and secure. So we'll come back to that in a second for how that plays out for the six, but that is generally numbers five, six, and seven are all gonna operate somewhat in that thinking mentality. So let's look at our six today. The number six is called the loyalist, and they are helpful, they're loyal, as the, the title suggests. They can be hypervigilant. They often have a sense of humor. They're anxious. They can be controlling or rigid. They really like to have a plan and to have some consistency. Uh, they may even be a little suspicious at times. And I asked my friend Rachel to answer some questions for me this week, and so thank you, Rachel, for, for helping me out. And Rachel is a six, and she said, here is what stood out to her and what made her think she was a six. 
Uh, she said, the major traits of a six I relate to are that I'm very loyal and dependable and that I always expect the worst to happen. Okay? So if you're sitting here and you're like, I am always expecting the worst to happen, you could be a six. What's interesting, too, about, about Rachel, I know she said initially she thought she might be a two who's the helper and is very caring and compassionate. Um, and that's also a quality. Often sixes can have those caring and compassionate qualities. Um, but Rachel realized that that like, um, worst-case scenario anxiety thinking ultimately um, clued her in that she was a six. So you could be a six if you ask a lot of questions. The questioner is another name for this number. Um, and the questioner might, might ask a lot of maybe what-if questions. What if this goes wrong? What if this happens? In fact, you might be annoyed because sometimes they're the ones that are going to poke holes in your plans and your, your dreams or your ideas because they're like, well, I don't know if you thought through this. Have you, have you considered if this happens? Well, would it be wise for you to move forward with this decision if you can't answer this question? You know, and everyone else is like, come on, let's just let's make the decision already. But, but for sixes, we'll get, we'll get around to this, but sixes also can really be a benefit and a positive way to the group because they kind of keep us from jumping ahead and jumping forward into decisions that are risky or that are not thought out. It turns out the six can see both sides of things, kind of like a nine, but for a six, um, they often can play devil's advocate. So no matter what idea you pitch at them, they can probably argue the opposite. Um, in fact, Suzanne Stabil says that for the six, the devil's advocate position becomes a place of comfort and security. I want you to think about whether that might be true for you. Because if you feel like certainty comes from knowing something, and you feel like you cannot possibly know for 100% one way or the other, then for you, the safest place to be is right in the middle. Kind of not making a firm decision because you're just not sure. If a completely rational answer can't be found, the most rational answer might be not making a decision at all, you think. So again, like the nines who may struggle with, with um, procrastinating, uh, a six might also put things off, but not so much because they struggle with inertia, but they doubt. They have a lot of doubt, maybe even self-doubt. And poor sixes, you have, you have self-doubt and you tend to look to other people sometimes to kind of um, get assurance about that. But unfortunately, you also have a hard time trusting people initially. So when people even give you a compliment, you might not trust that compliment. And so you have a hard time even gaining support from people who around you who might be trying to encourage you. Um, like I said, sixes have a good dose of skepticism about people up front. If they're going to go see a counselor, for instance, they are going to like do their diligence. They're going to make sure this counselor is not a quack. They're going to make sure that they have the right credentials. They're probably going to do some research because they're always scanning for potential danger or for being taken advantage of. And that is one core like um, uh, motivation of the six is that they want to avoid being taken advantage of and they want to find security and avoid things that make them anxious. Um, so because of this, because they're skeptical, you might be surprised that sixes are called the loyalist. Okay, how is a number that's so suspicious of others so loyal? But the thing about sixes is once they get in, once they do trust you, often they are very, very loyal. Um, in fact, they are not likely to break their commitment to a person or to a community over something small and insignificant. Um, they're they're going to be the diehard people that are dependable and they're going to be around and hold the community together. Uh, my friend Rachel says this, I pride myself on being a loyal friend. I will always be there for someone. In fact, I have, a very, I have a friend of a very long time that I've been there for over and over again, yet when I have needed her, she's nowhere to be found. And my husband says, maybe I should just stop being there for her, see how she likes it, you know? 
but I can't do that, she said, because it's not in my makeup to be that way. So you have to understand that this, this personality, maybe even sometimes when people aren't being loyal to them, they have this deep-seated desire to be loyal and to be there for others. And maybe that's you. They do want certainty and security. But again, this desire for that comes with the shadow side of fear. And so sixes do struggle a lot with fear, and it comes out as anxiety. Um, the problem is, even though sixes are in that thinking triad, sometimes their thinking, their version of thinking, can become unproductive because they're, they're thinking through all the things that could possibly go wrong, but it's not necessarily productive. So, for the six, worst-case scenario thinking feels productive. It feels like a way to control their environment, right? You're like, if I just plan, if I just know everything that could go wrong, I could stay one step ahead of it, and that feels very productive, but then we can't plan, we can't know, and that is the fear they have. Now, this is what my friend Rachel has to say about anxiety, and this is really important. This is what she wishes people knew about it. She says, I wish people knew that telling me not to worry about it does no good. Telling me not to worry about it does no good. And maybe you're picking up on a trend here, right? With each number, there's like something that if you say to that number, they're like, whoa, nope, okay, triggered. For the four, which we talked about last week, the emotional number, which people think is dramatic sometimes, if you say, just stop being dramatic, just stop being so emotional, right? That they're like, this is who I am, this is where I am, you know? So the same thing with the, with the anxious person. If you just tell them to stop worrying, their brain does not work that way. And we'll, we'll get back to that in one minute, but I want to finish Rachel's comment here. She says, people who are not anxious don't understand <clears throat> what it is like to worry yourself sick. I'm so envious of my husband because when it's time to go to sleep, he just closes his eyes at the end of the day. And I, on the other hand, lay there for two hours thinking about all the things there are to worry about. And she says, if I myself have nothing in my life that warrants worry, I worry for other people. It's exhausting. And I want, you to, I want you to pick up here maybe on even a piece of compassion we can have for this number, for this personality type, because if you're someone who doesn't struggle with, with regular anxiety, with regularly worrying about all these things, it can be easy to dismiss it, but for, for sixes, it is this burden that they carry around and they really can't turn it off. Um, I like Rachel's comment, though, it, it, when she says that she worries not only for herself but worries for other people because it really relates to the six also. Because when sixes are healthy, sixes are uh, focused on the good of the whole. They are really focused on um, um, the benefit of the community and looking out for the underdog. They are team players. They don't need titles or self-promotion. They're very good at, again, looking out for or defending people who are, who are underdogs. And I think that is something that we can learn from sixes um, that's very important. Sixes like order, plans, and rules. Although, as we'll find out in a minute, they can go back and forth between being rule followers or rule breakers, depending on, on how they're reacting to authority in their lives. I know we've done a lot of um, Disney princesses in here with the Enneagram, but I want to share, um, do I have any Office fans? Anyone who watches The Office? Okay, at least some of you. Um, Dwight Schrute from The Office, okay, I think, I think exemplifies maybe a dramatic six, but, um, but he would be a good example because, 
It's not, a, it's not an original idea to me. But he's very loyal, first of all. You look at all the characters on The Office, and he is the one that, despite his quirks, he is so focused on the good of, of Dunder Mifflin, okay? He won't even take his sick days. He's, even, even when he's looking out for, like, um, trying to get the, 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 his coworkers to go through all this training and security stuff, it's like he's worried that something's going to go wrong, and he wants to protect people. Um, now, this is why we find out in one episode that D Dwight has, like, all these... Um, weapons hidden around the office, like I don't, like a potato, a spud gun. Uh, he's got, I think, a, some kind of weird stick. I don't think it's a, a longbow, but he's he's got all these things. And at one point, they have to confiscate them all because they're like, why do you you shouldn't have these? But Dwight is Dwight thinks it's very practical. He's like, if someone intrudes, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be prepared. I will be ready. Now, Dwight, I think, also represents the two side of that authority issue I brought up for sixes. Okay. When it comes to rules and authority, sixes can break off into two different directions, which is why it might be, you might actually wonder if, you know, if, you're, if you're a six um, because they can look two different ways, you might be confused, but hopefully this will clear this up for you. Um, a six can be phobic, and in this case, they try to avoid at all costs the things that make them anxious. Okay, so you're just going to be like, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to go anywhere near it. Maybe you find yourself struggling to live your life, really, because you're so afraid of what might go wrong. And in this case, a phobic six might also be drawn to authority because they want to find someone that will give them um, security and assurance. And so again, Dwight, we see, does this with Michael, his boss. He really needs and wants that validation and that security that he can get from Michael. However, sixes, because they're, they're, because they're distrusting, because they're skeptical sometimes and suspicious, they can also be counterphobic. At which point they are trying to avoid, I think Suzanne Stabil said this, avoid being held hostage by their own anxieties by chasing the very thing that makes them anxious. So if this is you, maybe you're someone who's like, I have so much anxiety, but, but I try to just numb that and, and tone it down by, by running hardcore after the things that make me afraid. And in this case, you might be someone, um, a counterphobic six is often trying to rebel against authority. Man, especially if you don't trust somebody, if you're like, man, I don't, mm, they should not be a leader, they should not be a teacher, they should not, I don't have to listen to them. Like, and so you might be a six if sometimes that's how you respond to things. And in fact, you could go back and forth even between those two. So you could be, you know, have the counterphobic and the phobic qualities. Um, but I just think that's interesting about sixes, that you can look very differently depending on the situation. I'm told that in childhood, many sixes felt they couldn't trust their environment or the people in their environment for one reason or another. Um, and I mentioned earlier too, but sixes can be filled with a lot of self-doubt and indecision. And again, unlike the peacemaker who kind of, um, the number nine, who kind of wants to suppress their own opinions and just go along to get along, the six is more um, struggling with self-doubt struggling to see their achievements for what they are, worried that they're going to make the wrong decision. Okay, I have someone in my life that I think is a six, and um, I know if they look at two options, they're like, I can play out each of these options to the very end, and both of them have negative outcomes, potentially. Like, how could I possibly know which one to do? And so they might look around to others to make a decision for them. Um, also, I found this interesting, but when sixes are planning to do something, apparently for them, that's the same as actually doing it. Like, so you have to learn sometimes sixes that just planning and, and talking about doing something is not the same as doing it. I found this quote uh, by Natalie Babbitt from Tuck Everlasting to be maybe helpful for a six. It says, don't be afraid of death. Be afraid of an unlived life. You don't have to live forever. You just have to live. And maybe especially for sixes when you're, when you're tempted to be in that like 
shying away from everything that makes you nervous, remember that, man. Um, you could live your whole life and avoid a lot of problems, but get to the end of your life and feel like you haven't really lived. Suzanne Stabil says that for, for sixes, they're always looking for courage, although probably they, they actually have a lot of courage and they don't realize it. And what they need, she thinks, is more faith than courage. Um, if you're in a relationship with a six, you should know this, that sixes need to check in a lot to get reassurance. Um, they might, they might, uh, you might find them checking in a lot. Um, and again, don't minimize that about them. Try to, try to um, honor that need they have. Uh, my friend Rachel says this about her relationships. She says, at work, if something needs to get done, the employees always come to me because I'm the dependable one and know that it will get accomplished. I text with my adult children daily, but if for some reason they happen to call, I automatically think something bad happened. I mean, why else would they call? There has to be a catastrophe, right? Um, but again, that sense of, you can notice this, if, you're, if you have someone in your life that likes to check in a lot, and maybe you're a personality that's like, okay, what's with the fifth degree here? Come on, just leave me alone. Um, the, not the fifth degree. I'm, I'm pleading the fifth. I'm something. We're brain fart. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so you could find someone in your life that is checking in with you a lot and you might be annoyed but if you realize that this is coming from a place of love coming from a place of man they are concerned and they really just want to check in and see what's, what's up with me it can help you a little bit to show some grace and, um, and maybe, even, maybe even to see in a positive light someone's actions alright like I said I promise we always talk about what we look like in stress and what we look like in health and so, um, when a six is moving towards a place that's stress, they're often going to take on um, the negative attributes of, of the three, which is the performer or achiever. So when they're there, they can become more competitive and arrogant, and really an unhealthy six can, be, can like, devolve into paranoia um, and, and really become hyper-focused and hyper-vigilant on things that make them anxious. Um, but when they're moving in a direction of growth, they often take on the positive attributes of the nine, actually. Um, and here they become more relaxed and optimistic, and they often um, are, are less fearful, and they're able to make some decisions there. Uh, and then I want to look really quick at the wings. Each number we said has um, two numbers on either side of it that you can kind of lean towards a little bit and take on some qualities of. So if you are a six with the five wing, that's the investigator, and those people tend to be a little more introverted, cautious, and intellectual. And on the other side, you have the seven enthusiast, and if that's your wing, you might be more um, extroverted, more impulsive even, and um, maybe even a little more materialistic. And again, for, for that six who tends to be very cautious, that seven wing can be, can be maybe an interesting mix because that impulsivity might help you to make some decisions that you wouldn't normally you know, make otherwise, um, but you might find yourself kind of battling between, between your seven and between your six. Okay, I want to get to a couple gifts, the verses, gifts that the sixes bring us, and then I'm going to share a few verses um, that can be encouraging or challenging for sixes. So first of all, gifts of the six. And like I said before, they force us to slow down rather than always moving towards the risky or um, possibly um, un un uninformed decisions. They help us to think through things. They are good team players. They're those advocates for the underdog, and they bring that sense of community to others. Um, and sixes almost never fail people in an emergency. They are the people that, because they've thought through all the things that could go wrong, the positive side of that is that when an emergency comes, often they are, they're good in a crisis, and they can help others out. 
What I love about, about sixes, and I think that this is exemplary of them, is Isaiah 117 that says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and please plead the case of the widow. Um, I think sixes do that so well. And I want you to know this, sixes, this is something that's beautiful because Deuteronomy 10.17 says that this is, what, this is a reflection of God. God is the Lord of lords. He's mighty and awesome. And Deuteronomy 10.18 says he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. So when, when sixes act this way, they are a, a true reflection of God's character and God's heart for the underdog. Um, and they can teach us to do that as well. So thank you, sixes. Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. And again, this is one of those moments where, you know, we can think of, of worst-case scenario thinking as always being bad, but the prudent, the sixes are prudent, and they're like, you know what, I've thought this through, and, and sometimes we do need to pause and not do something because it's wise to take refuge. And so we can learn something from that side of a healthy six. Um, okay, so here is something I think that might be a challenge or an encourage for a six. And I promise I'm not going to tell you not to worry. I'm not going to use the verse that says, don't be anxious about anything. Um, it's a good verse, but not, I'm not going to use it today. Um, Romans 8, 31 through 35, we're going to look at this passage together. Um, it says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? I'm going to pause right there. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, sixes can sometimes get in this habit of being like us against them, um, especially I think, I think sixes as, as kids can kind of like team up with someone and be like, let's, you know, it's, it's us and we're going to be, you know, kind of against the world or against these other people. And maybe you're hyper aware of who is for you and who is against you and you're trying to figure out, man, like even with this relationship with God, he's this authority in your life and maybe you're trying to figure out, is God faithful? Is he good? Is he, is he for me? You know, where, where do I stand with God and I need you to know this. When you, when you follow God, when you trust in him, God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Technically everyone, right? Technically everyone could be against you, but the point is that the God of the universe is on your side. And you can allow that to sink in and give you hope and give you, um, give you encouragement. And his faithfulness, we see what that looks like in verse 32 because it says he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. So how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charges against those whom, whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Um, I think sixes sometimes can be afraid of maybe getting in trouble, afraid of, um, of maybe being told they're doing something wrong. And we, we see here God is saying, listen, in Christ, when you, even, when you, even if you do make a mistake, God has compassion. He's not going to condemn you because in Jesus Christ, we have Jesus Christ interceding for us. And then I love verse 35, and you should pay attention to this if you are a six. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now, I don't know about you, but if you're a six, that sounds like a worst-case scenario list to me, right? Right? Like, Paul could have said, well, you know, we might face an inconvenience, somebody cutting you off in the grocery store line. Maybe you have a slightly awkward but otherwise benign rash. You know, that could happen. No, he doesn't, he doesn't say things that are just like silly or in, insignificant. Paul jumps right to worst-case scenarios, right? He's speaking the language of the six. You could face hardship. You could face persecution. Let's not rule out famine. That could happen, okay? You could be so poor you have no clothes. There's that. Danger, well, danger's everywhere. Crazy world, 
right? And then, you know, generally, uh, violence, swords, maybe, maybe the spud gun, whatever. You don't know. You've got to be prepared, right? But then listen to what Paul says. I think we expect Paul to say, but you don't have to worry about those things. But it's not what he says. Rather, in verse 37, he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things. And what he is saying is that, let's just say the worst case scenario does play out. The danger, the sword, the, the famine, whatever. Even in those cases, God is still God. God is still holding you. God still prom- God's promises still stand because God has defeated even death. He's defeated even your very worst case scenario. And I know that doesn't make the anxiety go away, sixes, but it helps us to remember that we may not know what's going to happen in the future, but we know that God is going to hold us there in that future, whatever it is. And I want to kind of close out today with looking at um, a passage from the Bible that shares the story of someone who I think might be, um, might be a six. And I know we're running short on time, so I'm going to go quick here. But um, many of you have probably heard the story of Esther from the Old Testament. Um, but I actually believe that Mordecai, her uncle, might be a six. And I'm going to explain why. Um, so Mordecai and Esther were Jews that lived in the time of around 479 B.C. And this is in a time when the Jews were in captivity and they were in exile and being dominated by other nations. In fact, at this time um, of this story, they were being ruled by a man, a king named uh, Xerxes, who was capricious and he was known for his anger. In fact, one of the things he's known for is um, having this banquet and he gets drunk and then, and then his, he asks his wife to do something and she refuses and so basically he's like, that's it, you're cut off, you're done, we're gonna find a new queen, okay? Uh, but that's not really the story that I'm, I wanna talk about specifically today. Um, but I want you to recognize this, that there was a lot of uncertainty in that time. And I feel like we, we all right now maybe are experiencing a lot of that. It's a hard time to be a six because there's a lot of very real um, concerns that you see all around you in the world. And I think that's why this story is, I think, can be helpful for a six. Because for Mordecai, living in this place of uncertainty, if he was unhealthy, he really could have let all these fears over, overtake him. But I think he shows us what it means to be a healthy six. So first of all, we're going to see this. Mordecai was compassionate, and he was looking out for the underdog and was loyal to his family. We see this in Esther 2, 7 and 8. We find out that Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, which you, you probably know as Esther. And Mordecai took her in as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So talk about loyalty. Talk about compassion and taking on the underdog, right? We see that already in, in this story. And this is the same Esther he adopts, who incidentally, eventually the king, through a series of kind of a twisted beauty pageant, uh, he he chooses Esther to be the new queen to replace the old one. Um, Now, again, maybe we don't see in the story Mordecai is not painted as very paranoid or anxious, but you can tell he's very aware of and suspicious of those who abuse power. Um, And he's also, however, he's also loyal. Even though he's living under this foreign king, he is loyal to that king. In fact, Esther 2 tells us that um, 
at one point, Mordecai is sitting at the king's gate. And we, we realize he's sitting at the king's gate because he's waiting to hear news about Esther and whether she's, where, where she's at in this whole competition thing and whether she'll be chosen by the king to be um, his new bride. And so again, they didn't have cell phones. So instead of like texting, hey, how's it going? What's, what's up with the beauty pageant? You know, how are things doing? Are, do you think you're gonna win? Like he can't do that. So he's sitting outside the gate and he's trying to be as close as he can to, to Esther to kind of check in and take care of her. And I think that's a very sick thing to do. But while he's there and being hypervigilant, he happens to overhear this plot, these two people that are plotting to assassinate the king. And he could have just let the king be assassinated, but instead, he shared that information with Esther, and the king was saved. So again, his hypervigilance in this way um, allowed him to, to pick up on an actual danger and to save somebody. Um, now then we see like kind of the, the counterphobic side of the six in Mordecai because even though he's, he's loyal to the king, but he is very suspicious of people that he does not think deserve, um, deserve to be in a place of leadership or authority. And so later in the story, there's a man named Haman. And Haman, just right from the beginning, you just know he's a bad dude. He is not, he is not a good guy. Um, and Haman knows that. So although all the other nobles of the area are bowing down to Haman, Mordecai refuses. He's like, nope. Not going to do it. I don't trust you. Not one bit. And as a result, Mordecai looks at him, or sorry, Haman looks at Mordecai, and he is livid. He's so mad that this guy will not bow to him. And he becomes so mad, in fact, that he decides that he is going to have uh, the king sign an edict to kill all the Jewish people in the land. Worst case scenario, right? And Mordecai says, okay, this is my crisis moment. I know what to do. And so he goes to Esther, and this is where he advises her, and he says, listen, here's what needs to happen. I'm going to give you the plan, and you can depend on me because I know it's going to be a good one. You need to go to the king, and you need to ask him to spare our lives. Now, Esther might have a little six in her, too, because she's, she's got a little bit of that fear in her, too. And she recognizes that if she goes to the king without permission, without being invited, the penalty is death. Okay? And, she, and she's not afraid to tell Mordecai that. She's like, okay, small detail here. I could die. But Mordecai kind of twists that worst-case scenario around back at her, and he says, listen, listen, do you think you're actually going to be spared? Do you think that for some reason you, you of all people will be spared? No. If, if you do not go now to the king and, and plead with him, maybe God will bring up someone else. Maybe God will raise up deliverance from another person, but don't, don't trust that you're not going to be killed in this process. But what he really does is he gives Esther courage, and he allows her to see her place in the story. And so Esther, I think, also is an encouragement to six because she says this. She says, listen, if I perish, I perish. And she finally gets to this place where she says, no matter what happens to me, even in the worst case scenario, I'm going to do what I know is right. And so in the end, she does approach the king and he shows her grace. And so we think the story's over, but apparently it's not. Because the king says, well, I actually can't change the original edict, okay? So all I could do, best case I could do, is to rewrite a new edict that allows the Jewish people to defend themselves. And who do you think he asks to write up that new edict? Mordecai, right? Mordecai, the man with the plan. Because if you're someone who is constantly thinking about all the things that could go wrong, he's like, I've already thought of 29,000 ways we could defend ourselves, and I can easily write it up for you right away. So here you go. Right? In fact, Mordecai probably has like a spud gun under his bed too already, just like Dwight. He's been ready for this for years. Now, I know this is funny, but I just want to wrap up this story this way and say, um, Six is, 
God has given you to the body of Christ for a reason. You bring so much value to the world around you, and maybe you do not see that. Maybe you don't recognize how loyal and dependable and faithful you are and what a gift that is to others. And maybe you don't recognize just how much we need that reminder to stand up for the fatherless and the orphan and the underdog. And maybe even you don't see sometimes that I know your anxiety feels like a burden, but in God's hands, that that ability to, to be cautious, that ability to think through things can be a gift to others. But I also want to say this for you sixes. I know that God does not want you to be paralyzed with fear. He does not want you to be stuck there. He does not want you to be um, just torn and, and feeling empty and feeling far and feeling fearful all the time. There's actually a book that I started reading um, that's called The, Exi- the Anxiety Opportunity. Um, and I would, I would challenge you to read that book if you're a six uh, because the, the author really talks about how we can look at, if you try to look at anxiety as this obstacle that you have to overcome, then often you start to feel like something's wrong with you. Like, like okay, maybe I'm sinning, maybe I'm letting God down because I'm anxious and I tried so hard not to be anxious and I prayed about it and here I am again. And I think this book, the whole point of this book, The Anxiety Opportunity, is to instead, stay, to instead say, how can this anxiety be an opportunity for me to pray? an opportunity for me to see what's making me nervous and and point that towards God. And so I would say for sixes and for all of us here, um, just this reminder to lay everything down in prayer. The battle belongs to the Lord. We sing that song that was so beautiful today. When I fight, I fight on my knees. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. So let's pray that together. God, I know that um, this for some reason has been an anxious week for me and I imagine that even people who don't relate to this personality, um, that for many people they're struggling right now with anxiety, maybe even crippling, maybe even it was so hard for them to even get out of bed this morning and maybe they just don't even know how to start and how to lay down those fears at your feet. So my prayer, God, is that instead of trying to turn it off, that we would recognize it and you would meet us in this anxiety, that you'd meet us in this fear, that you'd let us know that even in the worst case scenario, you never cease to be God. You are always on the throne and your faithfulness goes beyond the grave. We love you, God.